Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Next thing you know, banking from the left, coming across me, uh, left to right. And I pull up, you know, saying, shoot, 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 and thinking I have a good lead. feel like my uh, bead is on that bill. And shoot all three and just see all three of my wads just go completely past the bird and I was like oh my gosh and yeah that's when I really realized like these birds just fly up much faster than you realize welcome to the foul front outdoors waterfowl podcast where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned This passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the Foul Front. All right, welcome back to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, powered by the Waypoint Podcast Collective. This episode is brought to you by HTR Innovations, FreelanceHuntStats.com, DocsOutdoorSupplies.com, and Megan Lupian Photography. All right. So today on the show, we've got Nick Durbage. Um, and now this is, uh, this is, these are some of my favorite episodes when somebody on like the Facebook, uh, group says, Hey man, you should do an episode on this. Um, and you know, then we follow it up with them. And so Nick, uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Ben. How about you? Yeah. When did you, when did you post about, uh, you said, um, I think you said, Hey man, you should do an episode on swan hunting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what, it's probably been about a week, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you're like, hey, I, you know, there's something to it. And there, I don't, I've never, I never really have thought too much 
about swan hunting. In fact, there's me and my my group of buddies. There's a joke about because one of our friends uh, back in the day when he was first learning how he shot a swan. So we always kind of make fun of that. Um, he, he got prosecuted. Don't worry. It's not like uh, I'm, there's going to be an investigation or anything like that. But um, yeah, he, he already got his fine, paid his paid his ticket. So, um, uh, but yeah. So what got you into swan hunting? So, you know, I just remember I was out hunting on my own and just see this group of swans coming over, probably I think about eight of them. And next thing I know, I hear bang, bang, and just this big old white bird coming down and see this guy jumping up and down, hooting and hollering. And, you know, just got talking to him and he was like, oh yeah, you can hunt these birds. You know, they have us targeting the tundra swans and they're just really great fun. And ever since then, I proceeded to put in for the lottery um draw to draw a tag and draw one and went out and shot one and it I just it hooked me it's one of the best hunts i can think of for waterfowl it's just such a fun hunt you know you're only allowed one bird so you got to work hard for it but one bird a season uh so one bird so basically you put in for this lottery system kind of like you would uh i don't know how it is in kansas but like uh, when you enter, uh, for like deer tags and stuff, you know, you get that one tag and you can get one buck, but with swans, it's usually, if you draw, you get the one. And then the next season you don't draw out because you drew out last season. And then the season after that, you will more than likely draw a tag again. Okay. So you can, you can, you know, plan on basically swan hunting every other year is what you're telling me. Yep. Okay. Yep. Basically. And now, uh, where are you out of? So I'm out of the Salt Lake City Valley area, so here in uh so in Utah. Yeah, what's the what's the duck hunting like up there? So I think Utah kind of gets you know gl- glassed over just cuz you know, it's Utah. You know, I think a lot of people just think as a state probably not a whole lot to do besides, you know, visiting national parks and then big game hunting cuz you know, we've all seen those outdoor channel shows with guys coming out and hunting elk or mule deer out here on some of our awesome units. But waterfowl is really wonderful here. Like the Great Salt Lake is a big stop for waterfowl during the migration. I and imagine so. It's very like we always are doing what we can to uh, manage our WMAs, our waterfowl management areas. And, you know, we also manage our uh, federal wildlife service areas, you know, the Bear River and uh, Fish Springs. Um, those are the two big ones that uh, the feds are over. And just, you really can shoot any type of duck here. Like we have canvasbacks, pintails, mallards, shovelers. Uh, there was a guy this past season, I can't believe it. He shot uh, uh, a long-tailed duck, a sea duck. Really? Yeah, so we occasionally well, I was just gonna, get some... I was just going to ask you, you know, I'm sure you get your fair share of, of divers down there on the lake, but uh, mm-hmm. do you also get any sea ducks? Uh, well, it sounds like you do. <laughs> yeah, every now and then we do. Well, so I help manage a, wa- a waterfowl page here in Utah on Facebook. And uh, what's the page? It's always, a, uh, it's the Utah Waterfowl Association. Okay, cool. And the so the group has just helped kind of you know, meet others, possibly go hunt with others, but also just, we also, um, work on 
passing legislature that will help preserve waterfowl hunting here in Utah. Oh, excellent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think somebody shot a, a black scooter this past season as well. And so, yeah, we see every now and then a couple, I think this season I saw 10 or so sea ducks I got shot here and it's always crazy to see. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like, how'd you get over here? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you just realize, wow, that bird is way far from its normal flight probably. So. Right. Right. So, okay. Tell me about your first swan hunt then. Kind of told us, so you saw you're sitting out there in the marsh and you see uh, this big, you know, 737-like creature uh, get harvested by a guy. And what's the next, what happens then? So then, you know, I put in, didn't draw my first year, which generally happens. Occasionally you get lucky. And then my second year of flying, I drew. I went out, um, got out there about 10, 11 o'clock in the day. Um, for whatever reason, swans are they're for whatever reason they like to fly a lot better in the evening not saying you can't get them in the morning but from my experience the evenings have always been better um you know get out there wait and first group we come in it's uh two good sized tundra swans good two adults and just whiff it on the shot like you think people think shooting ducks is hard shoot a swan people don't realize those birds get up to 80 90 miles per hour top speed and like they're such a big bird you don't realize how fast they're going and if you do not put the lead on them you are not going to bring them down you get hit them in the body and they'll still fly like really and they're not gonna yeah, yeah they what are do a you, tough bird what do you throw what, do you, what kind of ammo do you use for them so you're gonna use still my two sw- or the swans i've taken um i've always used three and a half two shot okay. um but i know guys that have taking them with 20 gauges, you know, and just use two shot, you know, and just use the three inch shells or 12 gauge, three inch, uh, three inch shells and double BB. It's just, most people will recommend, and I'm kind of on that same boat where shoot the load you are comfortable shooting and that you can accurately shoot. Sure. Sure. And I think that's funny that you mentioned it, that, um, you know, everybody thinks that teal would be, they're the, Oh, the teal are the fastest ducks. Well, they're probably just the most agile ducks. Uh, but when it comes to speed, the bigger the bird, you know, um, the more the more speed they get going. So uh, when this thing, when these two birds are, you know, ripping past you, how you know, like, how fast are they going? Well, you know, paint the picture for me. So you know, we're just sitting here in the boat. You know, it's starting getting close to sunset. You know, I think it's around. 4 p.m. maybe a and, little bit before and you're hunting them on, then you're hunting them on water yep um yeah you're gonna hunt swans on water it i mean i don't think i've heard of anybody getting one in the field um like in a cornfield or anything i've always seen them on water so sure um you know they just you know you just get told all right put your head down you know you start looking up you know you're keeping your eyes underneath the brim of your hat but you're just looking up trying to see them come over because swans just like other ducks have really good eyesight and they they're not you know hunted a lot so there isn't a ton of pressure on them um they do get a lot of pressure once the season starts going and people start knocking them down but they are very like specific about where they want to go but you just hear them uh it's kind of funny with uh just hear them whooping 
So they're very vocal when they're flying in. So you're just waiting for them. Next thing you know, banking from the left, coming across me uh, left to right. And I pull up, you know, saying, shoot, shoot, shoot. And thinking I have a good lead, feel like my uh, bead is on that bill and shoot all three and just see all three of my wads just go completely (laughs) past the bird. I was like, oh my gosh. And yeah, that's when I really realized like, these birds fly up much faster than you realize. Yeah. Yeah. And now you said that you're hunting tundra swans, right? That's the only, that's the only type of swans we really hunt here in North America. Um, so in all eight States, those are the ones they technically want you to target. Now the federal wildlife service has allowed Utah and Nevada because we do not get a, very big trumpeter swan migration through our area that if you do shoot a trumpeter you're not going to be fined or anything but it does steal your tag okay they want you to target tundras but if you shoot a trumpeter it's not like oh man i'm gonna get a fine i'm yeah. gonna maybe go to jail or something um and so we did have a guy this last season shot a monster trumpeter so i don't know if you know two different from tundra and trumpers the way you can tell yeah, my parents have a uh they have a trumpeter swan um on their lake that they live on um and i i'm looking at a picture between a trumpeter swan and a tundra swan right now but go ahead Mm -hmm. what's the difference so size is going to be the big one tundras they get to about 16 20 pounds like as an adult Okay. And they get a six foot wingspan and then they'll have a yellow lore is what we call it under their eye. So at the base of their bill, basically they'll have like a yellow lore. It kind of looks just okay, like yeah, yeah. a birthmark. Sure. I see it. And then a trumpeter. I mean, even if you see like a juvenile trumpeter, it's going to look huge next to a tundra adult swan. Yeah. I, like think, the, ju- I think that swan that lives on my parents, the lake that they live on. I would guess that thing weighs 40 or 50 pounds. Yeah. So those trumpers, I believe can get up to 30 pounds. They usually are, I think a little bit more over 20 most of the time. Okay. Um, and they have very big blocky black, uh, bills. Yeah. And so just, if you see, like if you do a Google image, Tundra versus Trumper, you can see like how giant those trumpeters are compared to a tundra like they are almost double in size sure yeah i mean this thing maybe it's a little bit bigger because it eats like dog food so um you know perhaps that's why it's so much bigger and then another way like at least uh hearing wise a trumpeter it's going to sound like a trumpet when it calls like and i know that sounds silly but it does sound very close to a trumpet where a tundra like, I kid you not, this method works all the time when calling in tundras. It's going, woo, woo, like just literally doing that. And like, I was going to ask you to call in a, um, you know, I was going to ask you to call one in for us. Uh, yeah, like that you, like, you don't even need a call. You just say, woo. Yeah, you really could go, woo, woo, like, and they will come, like, if you ever look up tundra audio, that's literally what it sounds like they're doing. Like, it, they do some other sounds like they'll go like, Ooh, like a weird, like rolling. I can't do it very well. Like, a, they do like the, a Yeti or a um, Chewbacca. Kind of, but it's like a little bit more high pitched and stuff and not so growly, but very okay. similar. Like I can't a baby do it Yeti well. Or something. 
yeah like that like yeah kind of like that it's <laughs> so you, some amazing can, journalism going on right now <laughs> if, yeah if you ever can if you look up tundra swan hunts or just swan hunts you'll hear the guys and most of them are just going woo woo like just whooping and it it sounds super funny and dumb but you would not believe how often that works and i'm not saying it'll work every time but it does work do, do they they sell do they sell calls for these um, I believe they do. I think uh, there's a company out in North Carolina that does. Um, because uh, out there, tundra swan hunting is pretty big. They actually, that state gives out the most tags in the North America. So in they North, give out 5,000 tags. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess, uh, what is the, what's the population size of, you know, the tundra swan in North America? Or do you happen to know that? Um, I do not off the top of my head. I do believe it's a couple hundred thousand. I mean, it could sure. just be quite a bit over a hundred thousand, but I do know that coming into Utah, we see about 40,000 okay. thunder swans migrate through here. That's, that's, and that's more than of, I, that's more than I thought. Yeah. Sure. It's kind of a condition for states that have swan hunting. They have to have a significant amount of swans migrating through the area. Yeah. And, um, there's, you know, just like with any waterfowl, there's only so much habitat for, you know, these populations and, you know, part of conservation effort to preserve, you know, to continue hunting, you know, ducks and swans and geese hunting is utilized to help manage those numbers so that we will have that habitat still available for them. So now it's Alaska, Utah, uh, North Carolina, uh, there's five more states, right? Uh, yeah. So you got Alaska, Eastern Montana, Utah, Nevada, North and South, uh, Dakota, Virginia, and North Carolina. Okay. So and I, when you're scouting, sorry, go ahead. no, when you're scouting for these things, um, you know, what, what, what's that look like? <laughs> so it's very similar to way you're going to scout for ducks. You know, you're going to, get on your pedal bike or just, you know, the two legs you were born with and walk around. I mean, obviously you can scout with your boat, but you know, a lot of the swans here in Utah, and I think for a lot of the States where you can, you're going to shoot them, um, you know, pass shoot, um, just cause it's usually easier to get them while they're trafficking, you know, or traveling. Sure. Um, so you just want to find where their path is, like where they're consistently going, you know, roosting to feeding, you know, resting to eating. If you can get in there and, you know, you set up a decoy spread, you can, you can at least get a couple to come check you out. Okay. Um, now, I want to stop you real quick. Something. Um, yeah, you're good. Did, did you just say your, your pedal bike? Yeah. So here in Utah, we're on our, so on our WMAs, we have dike system because uh-huh. these uh, WMAs, most of them at least, are impoundments off the Great Salt Lake. So they're fresh water, and then they eventually meet the salt water. Mm-hmm. So we have these dikes where we're allowed to walk or we're allowed to ride our bikes on. Um, it just can't be e-bikes, but there is possibly that rule changing. Um, or um, like, Are you talking about use, those uh, – what are those bikes called um... – like Rambos. Rambos, like yeah. That. Yeah, so there is talk that at least the state-owned ones will eventually change or allow those. 
Um, but that's still kind of up in the air. I haven't heard anything change on that. But so you ride yeah, these bikes guys, along the levees. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, basically, and uh, you know, you just stop, pull out your binoculars and glass, see where you're seeing large numbers of ducks or swans settling and resting. And you know, those you know, sometimes those days you want to go hunt, just turn in scouting days. You know, plan for a better hunt later on. Sure. Now, is this something that uh like a like this is a cultural thing? A lot of people are doing this. Yeah, a lot of people. It's either they're walking those or they're riding bikes okay. on those, and that's just kind of you know people are just wanting to get around and see as much of the area as possible yeah. before you know they decide hunting somewhere. Of course, of course. I I used to ride my bike in, when I was jump shooting playas down in the um or playas, excuse me, not playas, um down in New Mexico. So. Oh, okay. I just thought yeah. that was interesting. So, yeah, it. I mean, if you're going to do, you definitely want those airless tires. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You no, know, you're off roading basically. For sure, for sure. Um, okay, so you've covered a little bit about the calling, and there might be like one, one or two companies that make uh, woo calls. Um, yeah. For swans, uh, what about decoys? Talk to. I know. I know that there are swan decoys. But tell me a little bit about um, your spread for, you know, swans. So if you have the cash money, because usually when you're buying decoys for swans, you get two. And it's like 55 bucks for just two. For two of them. So, yeah. So you're talking 25 bucks a piece, you know. And then that's not without, you know, that's not with the weights and stuff. So you can do it that way. Um, which nothing's wrong with that. I do have a couple swan decoys I throw out. Um, another way of doing it is some guys will cut plastic or, you know, kind of like, uh, dive bomb, uh, silhouettes, you know, they'll use something like that and just have it all white and they'll have them like, uh, stapled to wood stakes and just, uh, stake them out there in the water. Okay. Um, some guys use white trash bags they'll tie white trash bags to stakes or just tie white trash bags with a weight to it. So, you know, it doesn't leave where they want it and just leave it on the water. And that can be enough to get swans to come in and look, they may not, you know, land in or decoy perfectly, but it's enough to get them to come look at it. Sure. Okay. So uh, that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Some and now use, I don't imagine that like a floating goose decoy, you couldn't just paint that white and it would be good to go. It's just too small. So actually that works too. Like even just geese decoys, you don't even have to paint them. Those okay. will work. Okay. So yeah, you can, um, you can pull them in. Oh yeah. You can, you can still pull in. I mean, you definitely want to add some type of big white to your spread because swans will come in to like geese decoys and duck decoys but you generally do still want some big white in your spread because if you kind of look at swans and stuff, you will see like puddle ducks hanging out with them. You'll see geese kind of by them and stuff. I mean, generally they're not way close, you know, there's still that spacing between them, but you know, they're still kind of by each other. Sure. I imagine most of the market for, um, you know, swan decoys is in the confidence decoy. Um, uh, I would imagine, um, just, because... yeah, that's where I mean, that's where I generally see them. I know Tangle Free, they put theirs in their specialty um, 
I think category. Yeah. And they're the one, the only ones I really know that make a floating swan uh, decoy where they have flock heads. So okay. something we've kind of seen is that, you know, swans will still come and check out decoys like that. But if you can pull the flock head, cause if you observe swans, a lot of them spend their time with their heads in the water, you know, getting food and stuff. And we've kind of seen if you pull those, flock heads off and just leave the body there like that works really well interesting yeah uh the only reason i know that there are swan decoys um because i've never you know specifically looked for them was that um uh there was a a lake that we a public lake that we hunted um in oklahoma and i just remember seeing like there was this big blind on the other side of the lake i just there's so much white over there what the heck is that so we like tooled over there once and like just seen that they had these ginormous pterodactyl decoys and uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Then I went and looked up online and yeah, sure enough, there's they sell them. So yeah, and you know I do know some guys like they don't swan hunt, but they do use swan decoys as confidence decoys, and you know you definitely can use them for that way too. Sure, sure. So now, what what kind of groups do the swans like? Uh, do they do they flock up or do they kind of like pair off? So you definitely can. So we usually call them families. Okay. Um, when we see them, because there's generally about like you usually want those smaller families to come in your decoys. It's really hard to convince twenty big white birds to come and check out your decoys. Usually you're going to peel probably about, I would say about eight, maybe a little bit more uh-huh. um, of them to come. Usually if you can find one of those groups, you can usually always get them to pull in and okay. check you out. So you're really looking at like eight and below. Yeah. And even sometimes just the two can be really hard. They're almost even more wary where the larger numbers, it's like, Oh, we're in such a large group. If you know, we don't start seeing them peel off to look out, we're just going to keep going with them. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, do do geese? Do they mate for life, or are they seasonal maters, or do you do you know? So swans. Or, a I'm lot sorry, of people swans. think <laughs> you're fine. I knew what you meant. Uh, <laughs> so swans. A lot of people think you know they'll mate for life, which they will. But say one of them dies it's not like they're going to stop breeding or, you know, stop trying to survive and breeding is a big part of that survival. So they will, you know, find another potential partner to keep procreating. And, you know, they've observed swans having affairs, you know, so they've seen them mating with other ones that they technically, you know, weren't mated with for life. So that is kind of like a myth you know, a lot of people will say the same thing. Like I've heard people say, don't geese mate for life. And it's like, no, they really don't. And swans, it's the same thing. And I think that's kind of why a lot of people, you know, swan hunting has this black eye, I would say to some people where it's like, how could you hunt a bird that mates for life? And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> right. Right. And and then the other thing too, is I think uh, another stigma probably that it, that a swan hunter faces is like, I mean, these things are huge. Like, and I always think like, it's a lot easier to, uh, like sell off like a, Oh yeah, I'm a squirrel hunter. Okay, cool. But the, you know, like the bigger the animal, the more 
you have to defend yourself to uh, a non-hunter or something of that of that nature. Uh, but let's talk for a minute about the size of these things. You said six foot wingspan. That's like yep. that's almost like thirty percent bigger than like a regular Greater Canada goose, right? Yeah, I believe that's that would probably be a good estimate. Yeah, I mean most of your adult tender swans are going to be. If you get a good one, they're going to have a six foot wingspan and their bills are going to measure between about 50 to uh, 65 millimeters. Jeez. Okay. Um, and then how long are their necks? Like, that's the thing that gets me like, so their necks, it's, it's crazy how, I mean, I would say their necks are probably about 30%, maybe more of what their body actually is, you know, compared to their body. And like this one, I got my big adult one, uh, uh, I think was probably about 20 inches, maybe a little bit more than that. I didn't measure it. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head, but I mean, yeah, their, their necks are long. I mean, people think, you know, sometimes you have that question of like, Oh, is that a goose? Is that a duck? You know, depending on how far away they are, but it's like, if you've ever hunted swans or you've at least seen swans out hunting, you're like, you can nail that sucker and be like, oh, yeah, that's a swan just because its neck is so long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty unmistakable, I would say. Um, <laughs> you know, getting back to my buddy um, who back in the day and already got ticketed and fined. So if there's anybody listening to try to issue a ticket, um, <laughs> when he shot a swan, um, he was the talk of the county. Actually, probably the talk of the state. I remember uh, my my other buddy. I wasn't there. Um, and I didn't I didn't know the kid then, but uh, I have another friend that that knew him pretty well, and it's it was definitely I guess a big big kerfuffle for him. So. Oh yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine like because it we already know like shooting migratory birds out of season or, you know, cause at least here in Utah, we do have certain species where the season closes before the actual waterfowl season closes. Oh really? Um, for, for like, yeah. so like what? Uh, so scop. So okay, scop, yeah, their season yep. closes before, um, and then swans, their season closes before, uh, the, our duck season closes. Um, Oh yeah, and, sure. So tell me a little bit about, so like, What's best, early or late season for these for the swans? So the peak, at least here in Utah, peak swan hunting is going to be their, your second week of November uh, to about the first week of December. Okay, any particular reason for that? or So that's just what, so back when the state was obligated to or told to by the FWS, to do aerial surveys. They used to have to do yearly aerial surveys and now they no longer have to because the state has proven that the numbers are consistent year to year. There isn't much, there isn't a big enough variable to say for them to continue doing it because of funding reasons. Sure. Um, but that's just what they've tracked when doing aerial surveys that between November to, or between that second week, November to that first week, December is this always when they see the peak of well, swans with coming. it being, uh, so consistent like that. Um, or at least the way, you know, you, you make it sound, it sounds like that they're not then, then they're like photo 
uh, photo driven with their migration patterns. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we always kind of know when they're coming and, you know, we always, you know, just because of that data they've collected over the years from, uh, 95 to I think 2017 was the last year they did one. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cause they didn't do one last year. So yeah. Getting back to decoys a little bit now that I, so uh, what's your, like, what is your go-to spread for when you like you're going to target? So if I'm going to do a spread, I'm going to have uh, my right and left with, the most amount of decoys and for whatever reason this has worked for me that there's probably some guys going to tell me that's not the way to do it but you put about well, there's always those ten, guys. yeah you know just with anything that you always have somebody saying oh that's not the right way but anyways it works so um you would put about 10 or so on each on your right and left and, and, and these are put, what kind of decoys are you using again so I'm using swans, um, sometimes white trash bags on stakes, and then I'll use I'll even do goose decoys and throw a white trash bag over the goose decoy. <laughs> so we'll do that, and you know, and then we'll set up um, a, probably about eight or so in front of us, uh-huh. and there's they're spread out a little bit, but they're still like, you know, I don't think people realize how close swans will be next to each other like they will if you see them come landing in like a group of five or eight they're like almost landing on top of each other when they're like coming in and landing like brushing water yeah they're super close so you i wouldn't say put them right up next to each other like decoy to decoy i would say you know maybe put decoy here and maybe put one six or eight inches away and then put the next one maybe a foot away and then you know, create some space, but literally clusters, little tight clusters. Yeah. They're going to be like clusters like that. And then we put the ones in front of us, you know, a lot more space just because generally that's where we want them to come in, you know, right in front of us. It's a lot easier to hit them when they're coming right at you versus them coming across you just because usually they're coming across you more than likely. They're just checking you out. They're not going to commit. I mean, there have been chances I've seen where they've definitely committed, but most time I've seen them, they're going to come right at you and then you're going to see their big old black feet and they're going to land. But when they're coming across you, they usually are just still kind of checking you out, still worry. Um, But that just usually, you know, usually they got their feet out just like any duck, you know, once they're cuffed up, that's going to be your best shot. You know, especially with these birds, you you got to hit them in the head and the neck like a turkey. You know, if you hit it in the body, you're definitely going to probably have a chance of it getting away or spending a good while chasing that bird down. Like I had a buddy of mine, he shot a swan. He thought he hit it good, hit it in the breast. He wasn't in a boat or anything. And he like chasing through water and mud after this bird. And like after chasing it, probably about three plus miles finally got it three miles yeah that thing would be going on the wall actually i don't know <laughs> because yeah like that's a lot of sweat for <laughs> that's a lot of sweat. oh yeah like he was talking about how he was ready to hurl and throw up once he got it and he yeah he said that was probably one of the hardest birds he's ever gone after interesting very interesting 
So you're using so, about you're using about three 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 dozen decoys. Is kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely guys that use less, which you know that's fine, you know. But I definitely think when swans are coming in and peak numbers like that, the bigger of a spread you can have, the more success you're going to have. I that's my rule of thumb for everything. <laughs> Just how much <laughs> butt pain do you want to have to go through to set them out and pick them up? Exactly, and you know. Especially at least here in Utah, I'm not saying uh, field hunting, you know, we do have it. There's guys do it. Mostly it's private and that's it. Um, But most of these guys that are doing public, it's all on water. Like you're all water. And now the area that you're hunting down there, uh, at least from the videos I've seen, you're not, we're not talking really deep water. We're talking like knee deep, right? Yeah. And there's, you know, just like with any water, you can definitely get in spots that all of a sudden become chest high or deeper, but generally, yeah, you're, the water's going to come up to your waist and that's where you're going to be setting up. Okay. And it's, you know, it's more the mud you're fighting than the actual water. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So when you go out, uh, I mean, obviously, so, you know, you get your tag drawn, uh, I feel like that's it's pretty hard then uh, to have swan hunting buddies. So, at least my experience, people are very willing to share information for swans, and okay. it's because the season. So, it's like we'll its own say, little uh, subculture, almost. Yeah, and it's just we're very more open about it. Like on other things, when people are like, "Hey, where can I go to get a redhead?" Like, where has people been more successful a lot of people aren't going to say anything they're going to be like well we've shot them here we've shot them here we've shot them here but they're not like going to give them exact coordinates or anything with swans like oh yeah go up to the river hunt the unit get right on that dike and just wait for them to come do you want me to edit that part out (laughs) no you're totally fine i don't think anybody's gonna be upset i said that if they are whatever it's so open in that way. Most people do not care. And that's, and if you look on Utah's website or the Utah wildlife division's website for swans, it tells you where most people get their swans and the river is 40%. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I had a, I had like an internal battle there. I was like, Oh man, like I just, I've had like multiple episodes where I've talked about, uh, you know, protecting these places and, and whatnot. So, yeah, and I mean, like on our Facebook group page that I help run, like we let them communicate, and literally people are like, "Yeah, just go to, just wait for them to come off that rest pond um, that is uh, northwest of it," and it's pretty open. I mean, I don't think I'm gonna get anything bad for that. I can pull every post from Facebook that says that. So. <laughs> I, I might like just it, but... bump out. I might just bleep it out, and then we can just keep all this, and and show like how willing and nice you guys are, and then they can just hit you up. Yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> um, but you know, so we're pretty open about it, and it's just the swan season is so. I w- I mean, it's not so short, but like the time between when their numbers start coming and then to where you can't hunt them anymore is a very short window. It's literally be so last year, our duck season opened on October 6th and went to January 19th. 
and Swan starts the same day Ducks open, but it ended, I believe, on December 4th this year, maybe December 7th, somewhere around that and uh, that first week of December. So you're really only talking about two months. And there's only, I've only seen a few guys that ever get a swan in that last week of October. I've never seen anybody get a swan that first day of opening season. Interesting. So is that like one of those things where, yeah, you know swan, you know it's swan season, but you're still going out for ducks, and then you you really start. Hey, I think tomorrow we should go out and get some swan. Some like we should go try for our swans. Oh, definitely, and that's exactly how it is. It's like you kind of are always looking, but then it's like, hey guys, it's the last day of October. We need to start, you know, getting serious and looking. Sure, sure. Well, very, very interesting. So, what when you when you shoot these birds, right? Mm-hmm. I imagine that it is quite a thud into the water, um, and uh, that's a lot of bird coming down. What'd you say? It was like close to twenty pounds, right? Yeah. So I know. So people will tell you all the time that there are, you know. Oh, there's, you know, I shot a 20-pound goose. Well, oh, yeah. I'll tell you right now, the only place you're finding a 20-pound goose um, is is the market. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, you're definitely, yeah, if, I mean, your swan is going to be dang close to 20 pounds, if not 20 pounds. And that splash it makes if you hit it. So my first swan, you know, it, I had to shoot it six times like and that's how tough these birds are my second one i only had to shoot three times and my first one was a juvenile so i'll be honest i was a little disappointed you know just because i don't want to shoot the younger one but it it was my first one so i was happy i got my tag my second one was so much better it had the yellow lure it had a good bill size and it was about six foot wingspan and about a 20 pound bird which is perfect adult tundra swan Um, but this one guy in my group, when we went out, he, this was probably one of the bigger tundra swans I've seen. And, uh, he hit it with one shot or he missed on the first, hit it on the second, hit it right in the neck and head. It came down, but it was still alive. Like that's, we see that that's very common with swans. Like you can hit them and they'll come down, but you are still having, and I know you've talked about on your show. A lot of some people say you shouldn't water swat and stuff, but with swans you have to like, or it will get away. Like, yeah, no, I mean I think after you take it, after you shoot the bird out of the air, like you know, um, water swat away. But are you saying that you wait for him to put down and then you shoot them? No, I generally we generally shoot them on the fly. Like we're shooting them. So in my opinion, it's just the best, most accurate and ethical shot is to hit them right as their feet are about to touch water. Oh, yeah. So whether your judgment is, okay, their their feet are three feet from the water, hit them, you know, something like that. Sure. You know, but that's when you want to hit them because, you know, they're generally going to be cupped up. They're slowing down. You're It's going to be hard for them to, like, get their wings going again to get out of there if you miss. Right, right. So that's what I mean. But sometimes, I mean, I've seen guys – hit them in the body, they go, they hit them second time in the butt, they come down, and 
those birds are traveling, you know, and they're swimming away and, you know, you have guys getting after them with their boat, have to turn off their boat because you can't, you know, yep, shoot yep. any game birds if your boat's moving, have to turn off your boat and then wait until your boat, you know, comes to a complete stop basically and then shoot them again, you know? Yeah. And what, is, what a slippery slope, by the way, um, you know, with boats underway uh, <laughs> because, uh, you know, you know, you you got a bird, and you 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 kill it, uh, or you shoot it, I should say, and it, the thing's wounded, right? Mm-hmm. And so at that point, like I'm thinking, by any means necessary, end the suffering, and harvest that bird so it doesn't go to wanton waste or or anything like that. Uh, but then oh, at the yeah. same time, you know, like oh, <laughs> you, yeah, all forward, uh, you know, momentum from being underway needs to be ceased. Um, yep. And then <laughs> that's, you know. I, so yeah, it's an interesting conversation, but it's definitely you know it's it's a challenge for that person first off because you know they got this bird down, they're already dealing with the dilemma of like, dang it, the bird didn't die like I thought it was going to, and now they're in pursuit of it, and then if they're in the boat, they're having to wait for the boat to completely stop because in legality ethics, you know, the boat needs to be stopped. And then trying to shoot that bird and be like, I don't want to lose this bird because I'm not going to sleep tonight if I end up losing this bird too. So yeah. it's it's hard on people. Um, I've been lucky enough where I only had that happen on my second bird. And that definitely was stressful because when – so here in Utah, and I do believe in those other states where swan hunts go on, when you harvest one, you actually have to bring – you either bring the whole bird in or just its head in. And the wildlife officers have to measure the bill. You have to tell them where you got it. They check um, the measurement for the bill. They see if it has the yellow lure. And then they ask you how satisfied you were with the hunt. And you have to do that within 72 hours of harvesting. Wait, 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 wait. What was the last part? Uh, You have to report that within 72 hours. No, no, like how satisfied you were with the hunt? Yeah, they ask you how satisfied you were with the hunt. (laughs) Okay. And that one's personally just for them. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm just happy to be out there. If I get one, that's <laughs> yeah, just a cherry yeah, on sure. top. But they um, do want, at least here in Utah, they want to It seems to me know. like it's, uh, you know, this is equivalent to whitetail hunting. Yeah. I mean, depending on your regulations, yeah. it's. I mean, to even apply for this swan tag, you have to do a quiz. You have to do an orientation course and pass this quiz. To make sure and then you're not you get a whooping crane. It, yeah, shooting anything that because even though yes, in Utah, if you harvest a trumpeter swan, you're not going to go jail. You're you're within the law. They do. They want you to target the tundra swan. Sure. Now, is that the and case so, everywhere, uh, or do you know? Um. So here in in Utah, Nevada, it's totally fine. But I do know in other states, you definitely will be fined and could potentially have criminal charges because i believe the fws opened it up back in 2017 um this type of verbiage that would allow trumpeter swan hunting in a lot of states not just in the states but really what they were looking for was to see you know hey utah and nevada have been doing it this way do you could we do it this way as well so that people who do accidentally harvest it because they are hard to distinguish in flight unless you really know your birds and even you know 
you always get that guy that's super excited, just sees white bird shoots, yeah, think sure. it's what it is, and yeah. then ends up being a trumpeter swan. Well, in those states where it's not okay, you're definitely going to get a fine. They're going to take your bird, and you could go to court. Um, but I'm not sure where that has ended in those states, but I do know in Utah and Nevada, you know, if you do get a trumpeter, you're fine. Huh. So, yeah. So how many how many uh, swans have you harvested? So three total. That's that's, that's so like that's you're talking like sixty pounds of bird right there. Uh, yeah. What do you, what what do you what have you done with them in the past? So my middle one, I did get mounted. I did take it in and um, have it done. And a lot, a big one that everybody always does with the swans is they always want to do it flying, which totally awesome mount. My wife was not happy with that one. So <laughs> well, it takes up like 10 foot of the house. Yeah, it takes up a ton of room. If you don't have like vaulted ceilings or like a good place to put it, you're, I mean, it, it, it would be like trying to put a bull elk, like a 350 class bull elk and above your fireplace when your ceilings are only seven feet tall. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just these sure. swans, just even the tundra swans, I mean, they just take up a ton of space. So mine is just like in a stand, like in a standing position on like a kind of a wood uh, display. It sounds like, I, hold on, it sounds like you, you you had one mounted in a flying pose. No, I haven't. Um, I wanted to do one that way, but my wife kind of acts that one. Sure. So, um, but my other two, so my first one, I was very, you said that like, was a juvenile, right? So, yeah, my first one was a juvenile, which most people say, if you could shoot a juvenile, yeah, they look cool mounted, but just eat them, you know, you can always get a better one, you know, and. I'm pretty picky about, so be honest, my swan is the only bird I've ever mounted. And it's only because the other birds I've gotten, I've always felt like, oh, I always feel like I can do better. So I just don't feel Yeah. Yeah. I know some people are like, oh, that's trophy hunting. But it's like, no, I just really want to have true value in something I'm going to spend money on and get this beautiful duck done. I think the best, I think the best way to to duck hunt is is trophy hunting you know what i mean yeah trophy hunting and, and meat hunting i guess but um yeah like you know i had my buddy tony on uh and that's what he he's pretty much just a trophy duck hunter like uh-huh. he goes out and he waits and like finds the right one so um but yeah continue sorry what does no, swan you're... taste like so a lot of people probably will have this hard to believe it's very similar to geese. Like it's very similar to goose meat. Like it's not really noticeably different, at least in my opinion. Yeah. That's not very hard for me to believe. I was thinking that that was going to be the case. I will say, I do think if it's a little bit more temperament, like duck where I feel like, and this is also my opinion. So I could, people are probably saying I'm wrong. Yeah. I feel like duck, you have to be a little bit more careful about the internal temperature when you're cooking it, where geese, you can probably, I feel you can go a little bit longer if you feel like you need to, where swan, you definitely like, if you go over, it's going to, you're, it's like, it's that saying, like, how do you eat carp? Put it on a shingle, throw away the carp, eat the shingle. Like, <laughs> you know, it's. Okay. So you're, you're saying, I, I, I think what you're saying is, is like, yeah, we don't overcook our waterfowl. Yeah, don't, yeah. like, Ugh. 
I think if anybody like has ever experienced overcooked steak and then experienced overcooked waterfowl, you would rather eat that overcooked steak than that waterfowl because it can be so bad sometimes. I, I think I think what it comes from and, and what a what a strange, you know, dichotomy that it is. So, you know, you go out hunting waterfowl for the some of the first time and your boys they throw you they throw you some duck meat and they're like, all right, go have fun. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, duck, a lot like chicken, right? Yeah, it should be like, it's chicken. It's a, it's fowl. It's a bird. Okay. So I got to make sure I get this thing cooked, cooked, cooked. Uh, and plus it's wild. So it's dirty. Who knows where it came from? Both of those things completely false. Yep. Yeah. That, that thing is not dirty. Like the chicken that you bought from the store was like, never not touching another chicken that's right like these things were living out on god's land like they're good to go like oh yeah i totally agree and like one of the big things i tell people so everything you know about poultry because waterfowl would technically fall in poultry um throw it out the window when it comes to waterfowl you cook that sucker like it's beef if you push your palm and the meat feels like your palm there the by your thumb, it's done. And that means that meat's coming off and it's medium rare and you eat it like that. If you're eating it further than that, you messed up. <laughs> My wife hates, or she hated um, eating duck. And then uh, I, I grabbed some teal this season after I talked to my buddy AJ Nesty from Hunterian. And he's like, hey oh, yeah. man, two minutes on one side, one minute on the other. And I was like, really? Okay, we'll see. Did that, I kid you not, there was like leftover prime rib in my fridge that got ate after the rest of that teal did. Like, oh yeah, and it's it's crazy how much of like, how if you do cook it within those correct requirements, how good, like how good it really is compared to, you know, store-bought chicken oh, yeah. or store-bought steak, like. I'm not saying I'm going to turn down a steak, but I definitely, like, if I have that waterfowl meat, I'm going to eat that waterfowl meat. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, I'll tell you right now, of all the, the hunting I did, you know, this, this year, I have maybe, like, two geese left uh, is all I have left. Because we were just, every time we'd get some, we'd eat it. Oh, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't, and now I'm sitting here, I'm looking, that's a long summer with no waterfowl. And it's always disappointing when you have that last piece and you're like, well, at least I have something to look forward to in six months or four <laughs> months or whatever, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, so what's but, your, yeah, what's your favorite swan recipe? So I like to marinate mine in a brine. So I do, okay, sorry, I should say a brine. And I actually use a very similar turkey brine uh-huh. for my swan brine. Okay. And I'll just cut out the breast, and this is how I did mine. So I did have to reduce the ingredients, but just use a simple turkey brine that you can find on Google and just marinate it or brine it for 24 hours. Once you get that blood out, you know, pat it dry, you know, and then season it with any seasoning you like. I use this uh, chili uh, lime seasoning on my juvenile one and just rubbed it on both sides and then grilled it about a minute 30 on one side and i think two minutes on the other because a lot of i mean those swan breasts 
they're going to be very close in size to a turkey breast. So it's a lot of meat. Um, on my third one, I did the same, the basically exact same thing, but I do plan on because that was two years ago. So this year I will hopefully draw a tag. I want to do one where I saw a guy, he plucked all the feathers off swan, cut off the wings, the feet, you know, the head, and triggered it. He put the whole swan in a trigger. Yeah. And he he had pictures of him cutting it, and it looked so good. Like, it, it he smoked it. It looked so good. So that's on the list of what I want to do next. And I'll probably try and find that guy again or find somebody who's done it. Um, just make sure I follow it. But I don't think, I mean, as, as long as you season it and then smoke it and take care of it, you know, just like with any game, you know, you get it in the ice as soon as possible or cool it down as soon as possible. It, I don't think it's going to turn out bad. So I know some guys will, I, there was one guy, I think he told me he brines his swan uh, breast in seven up. Get it kind of sweet or something. Yeah. And, and then he sees it and he said, that is so good. Just do it in seven up. And I've never done it that way. I've just usually done the turkey brine and then um, just, you know, get the blood out. And that seems to be what works for a lot of people who have never tried waterfowl. They've tried them like, oh, it wasn't good. Right. If you brine it and then cook it. They seem to enjoy it a lot better. For whatever reason, getting the blood out of it makes it a lot better. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I, so, I, I've gone through a lot of trial and error with trying to get my wife to eat waterfowl. So to the point where anytime we have tacos... Or, or anything like that. You maybe don't. You could sneak some sort of, you know, foreign meat into it. She yeah. always asks me. She says, "Now, what kind of meat is this?" And I, I usually have to lie to her to get her to try something new. So. Yeah. No. I actually I have a funny story. So this was with uh, elk. So I used some ground elk meat and put it in chili and I gave it to my wife didn't say anything she ate it and she was like what's in this and I was like it's just beef and she was like no what's in this <laughs> I was like it's I was like it's elk and she was like I'm not eating it and like she stopped eating it for whatever reason she knew right off the bat couldn't believe it because I if you would have given me a bowl with elk meat in it or something like I would have not known the difference <laughs> I couldn't oh, believe it so man. She has a very, at least my wife has a very sensitive palate to wild game. She's very, most of the time, no. Every now and then she will do some water, um, some duck breast, yeah. um, but it's got to be cooked right. I mean, it's usually just me and my father-in-law who are eating the game meat. So our Our goal by the end of 2019, and when I say our, I just convinced my wife of this after like a month of kind of arguing about it back and forth. Um, I said, we're not going to eat anything that we did not meet alive. Like if we, if we didn't know that thing when it was alive and I mean, obviously I'm, I'm only talking about meat. Um, if we didn't know it when it was alive, we're not going to eat it. Like, you know, so like nothing store bought, you know, stuff that's been dead already. Like, you know, the cow, oh yeah, the, the, the cow, like, you know, coming from like a local farm or something like that. So you're like, I- I want you to meet the pig 
that we are going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like, I think then that's kind of a, um, what it, what it is. Maybe that's a drastic, but it's very similar, right? <laughs> right. Like maybe when I'm saying like meet the cow, like, no, we're going to, we're going to get it from like a, a local, you know, <laughs> rancher. Like a local. Yeah. Oh, not, okay. You know, we're not buying beef from like Tyson <laughs> or anything like that. Right. Um, so like to take ourselves out of the, uh, uh, the meat market as much as possible. Yeah. And, uh, like just getting a little off topic, off topic, like that argument always like kills me when I see people like, I can't believe he would, you know, kill such a beautiful animal. It was just living its life. And it's like, you realize you eat animals that are like <laughs> in cages and living on top of each other, defecating on top of each other. I got like, I, I love deer, you know, and I love you know, ducks and stuff. But you know who I feel bad for? Cows, man. Like, oh yeah, yeah, it's a rough life. Well, maybe not too rough, but like, yeah, I mean, your whole their whole purpose, like the deer, its whole purpose is to survive and not wind up on my dinner table. The cow, right. its whole purpose is to wind up on my dinner table. You know? Yeah, basically, and so it's like how I mean. Yeah, that argument always kind of kills me because it's just like what I'm doing is, in my opinion, at least, you know, people can disagree and that's totally fine. Is me going out and pursuing this animal that's living free and not in a cage or not being raised to be killed is such a far better like reward for me because I'm doing everything in my power to be ethical where I could potentially buy it from these factories that definitely aren't treating these animals the best. Right, right. So, so I've been fortunate yeah. in that most of the, the beef that I've consumed in my life has been from uh, a family member, um, you know, raising raising the uh, the cow and taking it to, to the butcher. So I, I've been fortunate in that fact. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just crazy how just buying locally, local meat is just so different from just buying that box store meat. Yeah. Yeah. Like of, you know, the treatment, but anyways, so yeah, swan hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Is, what uh, were we talking about? Swan hunting. Yeah. Swan <laughs> hunting. is definitely a one of a kind. I know a lot of people and I disagree with people who say this too, that, Oh, swans are just like snow geese. You know, they're not hard to hunt at all. And really like swans are so aware of their surroundings that like you really got to do a good job of staying still, making sure you have that right decoy strategy and you know, you will get them in, you know, you got to work for them just like you do with any of the ducks, you know, but you know, I know some people say snow geese are super easy, but it's like, if they're so easy, why is it that everybody has to shoot them 70 yards up? Why aren't they always decoying in? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Swans are, I recommend anybody, if you ever can, you have the funds, uh, the financial stability, or you live in a state that allows swan hunting, give it a try at once. I definitely can tell you it'll change your mind. You know, you either continue to do it or you'll understand why it's, you know, such a great hunt. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, Nick, uh, to get you out the door here, I know that you came up with this list already. What's the 10 rules of hunting swans? 
<laughs> the 10 rules. <laughs> okay, maybe not 10 rules, but like the parting knowledge here, the parting shot, like what's what's your, you know, little pieces of advice I'm about to go, you know, plan and then execute my uh my swan hunt. What's some, you know, uh, I would I would consider you semi expert at this now. You've killed 3 swans compared to most uh, I I don't think I know anybody um personally that has killed a swan. So so I think five things I can definitely think of off the top of my head is use ammo you're comfortable with. You don't have to go big. So if that means you're comfortable always shoot, shooting three-inch, two-shot, use it. Um, the second thing is, is scout. Just, you know, they're, bring those binoculars and do what you need to do to find them. Uh, third thing, just be patient. You eventually will get on them. You'll get an opportunity. I think Utah, like we are pretty close to almost always, uh, 90% or more success rate. I could be a little bit off on that, but we, it's a very good success rate here. Um, for just, you know, sometimes you got to sacrifice doing the swans and not doing the ducks. You know, you definitely can shoot ducks sometimes when out swan hunting, but sometimes you don't need to shoot at that flock of ducks that are coming, wait for the swans. And once you get your swan, then duck hunt, you know, obviously if, you, if there's still time, right. then number five hunt in the evenings, I can, for whatever reason, the evenings have always been better for me. Okay. Yep. Well, perfect, man. Uh, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, giving the listeners some knowledge about swan hunting. And it was definitely, um, opening for myself as well. You know, as soon as you posed that question in the, in the group, I said, you know, that's, a, he's got a great point. <laughs> it's like no one talks about swan hunting. Um, yeah. So. You always hear people talk about divers, you know, canvas backs. You hear them talking about pintails or you hear them talking about sea ducks. And I'm like, where's the swan love? <laughs> There's no swan love. <laughs> no, it's just, but I'm hoping, you know, this will get some people more interested about potentially in their future or if they do live in a state, you know, they'll be like, I'll give it a try, you know, yeah. see if I like it or not. And if they're really interested in it, they can get on the Foul Front Waterfowl podcast group uh, on Facebook and hit you up, right? Yep. More than happy to answer any questions or, you know, help as best I can. All right, all right. Well, hey, Nick, uh, I appreciate it, um, and uh, yeah, this was fun. We'll have to have you on again. Um, uh, that, that Definitely to talk about some desert ducks down there in Utah, um, which is a close thing to my heart, but I'd love to talk yeah. to you a little bit more about, uh, you know, hunting on the on the Salt Lake. Yeah, I'd be definitely happy to come back on and answer, or do another podcast and talk a little bit more about hunting in Utah and what it's like, but yeah, just let me know when you want to do it, Ben, and we can do it, you know, could be you know, when next season comes around or whenever we have time again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my one question I do have right now is, is do you guys uh, mostly shore hunting or is there any, are there any like layout boat hunters out there, you know? So we do actually have quite a few people that use layout boats. I have not seen anybody use a layout boat for swan hunting, but definitely for ducks and divers. Like a lot of guys use the layouts for the divers, which is understandable. It's a great tactic for the divers. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, trying to plan out my um, uh, my 
you know, kind of exotic hunts for next year. And I'm trying uh-huh. to go on a, on a layout boat hunt uh, next year. So uh, I was just trying to see if, you know, Salt Lake uh, was uh, an option for that. So, Oh, it is. And I'll, you know, one group or outfit, if you did come here and you wanted to go like on an airboat and stuff, uh, Chad and Rob over at Fried Feathers Outfitters in Utah, they do a, a layout type hunt on the Great Salt Lake. So you're on salt water using they use duck silhouettes and you lay in like a jet sled because the water's not deep at all so like it literally goes up to maybe your knee and they get after the teal like crazy out there and definitely some divers as well okay cool so just so you know you know that's always a great um you know they're great guys i i know there's other outfitters but they are top-notch outfitters if anybody ever wanted to do a hunt in Utah. Nice. They got some good promo there. So, yeah, <laughs> no, they're great guys over there. So definitely, uh, um, the only other thing I wanted to add, sorry, before the show ended, um, we didn't really talk about mute swans, which, um, mute swans, at least what we've been told here in Utah by federal wildlife officer is to shoot them like regardless you don't need a tag what um basic yeah they've told us that mute swans shoot them really because they're non-native yeah they're They're, invasive species yep so they've Uh. told us i've never seen somebody yet one i've never seen one out in the wild but we have been told to shoot them (laughs) yeah that's not something that's publicized a lot (laughs) no and i did kind of want to add that because i think some people be like well what about mute swans can you hunt those and it's like well really that's those that swan is more native to like europe and over there you know yeah, not sure. to north america we definitely have a small population of them here but yeah from what we've been told definitely shoot them all right that's Good in you know. utah i don't want to tell anybody <laughs> wrong information that might be different in other states but in utah, consult your uh told. consult your local laws first uh for sure um, for sure Oh, hey Nick, I appreciate it. This was uh, this was a great talk. I had a lot of fun on this episode, and uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll make my way out to uh, old Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake City. Yep. Okay, Heck so. yeah, man! And we'll go on a forty-minute hour drive, and we can get a hunt together if you ever come out this way. All right, man. Sounds good. Say, same to yeah. you back here in Kansas, by the way. Ah, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So, all right, Nick. Have a good one. You too. Thanks, Ben. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great-great-grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week.
Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste in podcast listening? Me neither, but hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.